Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well this week. All right mi gente, so you know what time it is. It is our interview episode for the week. Now mi gente, before we continue on, I do want to take a few moments to just, it is just such an honor to have the guest that I have today, and it's Jennifer Ullman. So I met Jen back when I started in community college when I literally had no idea what I was doing with my life. And she was the person that would go over all my personal statements when I was applying to transfer. She went over my statement of purpose when I first started my original program. And then even when I dropped out of that program, and now I'm where I'm at now, which I'm super thankful for, uh, she continuously supported me, even though, you know, our backgrounds are so different, even though we do have similarities as well. And if it wasn't for the guidance that her and my other first-gen professor, which was featured on season two, if you haven't heard that episode, if it wasn't for their guidance, academically-wise, I don't know how far I would have gotten, but they're still supporting me. <laughs> they're still, you know, wanting to know how I'm doing in my current program and just continuing to cheer me on and <laughs> listen to my podcast episodes. But other than that, Jen, she is now a therapist and I'm going to go ahead and let this episode speak for itself. Hi, everyone. Yes, my name is Jennifer and um, I met and started this journey with you back at Irvine Valley College where our paths crossed um, and we were inside beta together and did research together and we've just stayed connected and stayed friends. Um, I do have, I have my master's in counseling and I'm a marriage and family therapist and then I do a couple other side jobs as well. Mijente, before we clicked record, I was talking about my love and my obsession over Vampire Diaries. Like I've been yes. connected <laughs> to this series since I was a young teen up until like, well, now let's just say two nights ago, I had Vampire Diaries playing on Netflix, even though I've seen this show a bunch of times while scrolling TikTok. And well, it just, it makes me happy. So Jen, can you talk a little bit about like, you know, just the cheese that you were sharing with me about like the connection of human relationships and their TV shows? Absolutely. So um, I'm going to be fully disclosed right now. I am a nerd. I'm a proud nerd. Um, I love all things pop culture and it brings me joy in life. Uh, my master's thesis was on the incorporation of pop culture in therapy and how we can incorporate pop culture narratives in therapy and how we can use them as both metaphors and um, stepping stones in our own life. So we were talking about like why we like the shows we like and why we go back to the shows we like. Uh, there's memes going around, especially with the pandemic of like, watch a new show on Netflix or binge watch the show you've watched 15 times already. Right. And we're going to choose that one. Um, so there's two things that kind of go on with uh, television and movies and all that fun jazz. Um, one nostalgia and two parasocial relationships. So with these dynamics, um, Sometimes when we're watching shows, and I think fantasy shows and shows that have more of that niche dynamic where it's like a vampire or like Riverdale's not technically like supernatural at all, but some weird goes, can I cuss? Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Um, some weird shit goes down in in the the town, or even like shows like Gilmore Girls, where it's just so fantastical. Um, we form special relationships with these characters. Sometimes we they talk in a way that better depicts what we're feeling because they have the freedom of the fantasy. They have the freedom of the supernatural to be bigger and louder. Um, we can form these relationships because sometimes that show was there when our friends weren't. And they're also consistently there. Um, back in the day when shows were on weekly, we knew on Tuesday night at seven o'clock, we could feel comforted by going to the town and um, vampire Dice. And it was, it was something there for us when so much also feels chaotic. So we form these special relationships and these special bonds with these characters. And they also at times go through the same experiences. They go through breakups. They teach us how to go through breakups. They go through loss and grief and they teach us how to talk about these things and how to feel about these things. And then also nostalgia. It feels good to go back in time and remember when we first watched these shows or first got connected with this genre. And we have permission to feel that way again. We have permission to go back and relive a little bit. And I think especially nowadays when we're stuck at home and we're anxious and scared um, and no matter which way you kind of fall on the subject, things are weird right now. Um, but we can go back to Stars Hollow and go back to the Gilmore's house and remember when these things were happening for the first time and relive them again. That's like Disney. We can go back to the first time we watched Cinderella and feel like a kid again in a safe way. So nostalgia is huge on why we love what we love again. No, of course. And I just have to say, Jen, I love the little melancholic face you were giving when describing <laughs> nostalgia and all those things. I know you can't see her, Mijente, because, you know, the podcast is audio. But it's like I could just feel the way you were like, shows, love, nostalgia. And yes. even though I do love my vampire diaries, I will have to say they teach me things such as I will not do what Elena does and go enable Damon's upset actions every time he snaps somebody's neck. That I learned. <laughs> right. Now let's translate that in real life, right? Like we can, can talk about it in a safer way, but okay, we can see a man who's not able to self-regulate, not able to control his emotions and he's snapping and becoming violent. We saw what happened to her when that happened and we don't want to have to go down that same path and we don't necessarily talk about those big topic issues in real life but we can talk about it in vampire diaries um it's really interesting that a lot of people are coming out to say because those two brothers could sit down and cry together it gave permission for me and my brother to sit down and cry together when we lost our dad it gave permission for us to stereotypically punch each other in the shoulder, drink a beer, and then cry, which men aren't allowed to do culturally. And it gave permission to talk about our feelings because those men kill vampires and demons and they are manly men and they cry. What a concept. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so I just have to say this before we going keep going, mi gente. If you like how Jen just goes about talking about characters, movies, and all that good stuff <laughs> in a psychological way, definitely check out her podcast that I've also listened to a couple episodes because I just love the way that she dissects everything. Can you talk a little bit about your podcast? I would be glad to plug my podcast and do a little, but you know. Um, so my podcast is with my friend Tyler. We're both... Um, Becoming Marriage and Family Therapist. We're all both on the road to getting licensed, um, but it's called Stories with Shrinks. You can find it where all podcasts can be found, and we're on Instagram, where I'm very active, and technically we're on Facebook, too. Um, and we take your favorite pop cultural shows, movies, television programs. We're doing musicals here soon. Uh, we've done comic books, and we pick two characters, and we treat them as if they are clients in our office. So we take what they kind of go through in the show. We um, come at it from a psycho uh, therapeutic. We come at it as if they're in therapy, basically. And we do a case conceptualization of them. We talk about the big themes that they go through. So for instance, in our first episode, we do the show, the movie up. And uh, I take on, um, and we talk about stages of life. And I talk about him going into a new stage of life after losing his wife and him coming in for therapy for anger management based on the court order that he received. Because he does violently attack someone. And we talk also about how the um, the elderly population is stereotypically um, looked down upon and they're not taken care of. And it's a great it's a great podcast. I'm biased, but we have a lot of fun just nerding out and talking about therapy and pop culture. So you finished your master's of like not too long ago, but also not too recent, but you still find yourself using the, everything that you researched and put into your master's thesis into, well, creating a podcast for your own self-care mm-hmm. way. Or like, do you ever incorporate your master's degree thesis um, when you're watching TV shows and whatnot? Like how ingrained <laughs> is your thesis is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> So when I started the thesis process, so at my school, it's a year-long final project, um, and they said, pick a topic that you are passionate about or it's going to be hell, and that's across the board. If you're doing final projects, if you're doing full-on master thesis, if you're going into a PhD program and doing your doctoral work, you need to find a topic you're passionate about because you're going to live it for that long. And if you're not passionate about it, it's going to burn out, sizzle so quickly, and then you're going to feel very stuck and not passionate and you're not going to want to finish the work. Um, So what am I passionate about? Cool. I'm a nerd. So talking about nerd stuff before my thesis was something that I did a lot. Um, And... I was already incorporating it in my practice as a therapist. Um, I had clients constantly come to me and go like, I don't have the words to describe what happened, but have you ever seen, and I'm just going to classically go into a stereotypical example. um, Have you ever seen Harry Potter? Okay. Yeah. I've seen Harry Potter. Tell me about it. You know, when the Dementors suck your soul out and you're not happy anymore, that's what happened to me cool, let's talk about that. I don't need to know about the trauma. I don't need to know about what happened. I know exactly what they're talking about because they're talking about depression. But they didn't have the word depression. They had the word dementor. So talking about nerd stuff, second nature to me. Doing it in practice, second nature to me. So I was like, what else am I going to do my thesis on? I'm going to do it on nerd stuff. Um, So doing my master's thesis, I had 
I had probably too much fun. Um, I, I really enjoyed my final project. Um, I, for my program, what we had to do was interview clinicians. So our thesis statement, like our main like research question is how are clinicians doing this work and how are clinicians affected by it? Uh, so, Everyone had to go find clinicians who are doing their topic. So you had a population, a, um, a clinical issue, and a topic. And you had to find clinicians that do those three bubbles and interview them. So it was a qualitative study. We broke... Right, qualitative <laughs> study. We broke down... Double check that I'm not saying the wrong word. I can say quantitative so you can make, it sound, make me sound smart. And what I liked about my study and working with direct clinicians rather doing like a case study where I brought people in, ran a, a, a study, did the math, found the results was I love research. I come with a research background. I think research is so powerful and so important. And yet does it fit my population need? I work with clients that have dual diagnoses. I work with clients. So that just means they have two diagnoses or two or three diagnoses. I work with clients that have 25 years of trauma history. I work with clients who are four. Um, I work with clients who aren't going to fit a mold given their intersectionalities, given their cultural backgrounds, given their sexual orientations. They're not going to fit the classic. This study represents a group of white people at a community college between the 18s of 29 with the privilege of going to school and able to participate in research studies. So by going to talk to clinicians who work in the actual field, I could go like, okay, so when you're working with someone with a personality dynamic with 25 years of trauma history who is living in a halfway house and has a high school education, what helps? And there are very specific diagnoses that work very specifically with certain um, empirical-based research. And my practice is 100% empirically based. Like I don't do things that aren't based around research because that would be unethical. But some research studies just don't apply to what I do anymore. Because I need to pull from like 15 or cool. Um, I'm working with a four-year-old. According to the research, they should be able to sit down and do this. Uh, nope, no, not going to happen. We are making slime and we are going off the cuff. Um, and so when I, again, when it came to my study, I was like, cool, I'm going to go interview people who use pop culture in practices. And my uh, professors were like, do you know people who do this? Yes, I go to Comic-Con each year. I know people who do this. Uh, Comic-Con has a whole bunch of panels about psychology and pop culture. I, I have a whole list of people who I can already interview. And we sat down and we talked about how you do this, how you empirically do this, how you can take cognitive behavioral therapy, which has tons of empirical research, take that language, apply it to pop culture, and put it into real life. Because I can sit down with a client who, according to research, this would, CPT, perfect. They deal with anxiety. We'll look at cognitive behavioral model. We'll help, help the client heal. I explain the cognitive behavioral model to them. We talk about the treatment plan, and they go, what? I don't understand this. That's stupid. Okay, cool. New plan. Um, let's use the client's language. And the client's language, for me, is pop culture. Though I have worked with people who are athletes and I'll use sports and sports metaphors, but it's just not as fun. Um, uh, so no, it's not hard. And I do it all the time because 
I'm a full-time nerd and I love what I do. So, so of course. So I do have to ask you though. So mm-hmm. let's say there's someone that's trying to figure out their passions for your thesis. Cause you said it's mm-hmm. a long, it's hard. Yeah. How did you like, how, how could you give like first gen or just college students in general? Like, cause you could do a thesis undergrad, you could do it at the grad level. How can you give them like, what kind of tips could you provide in regards to like finding out the passions that you know you can write about? Right. So even if it's a final project, it's if it's a senior thesis, if it's your master thesis, if it's your doctoral dissertation, the first thing is like, one, making sure you found a program that fits your interest and needs. The higher up you get in education, the more niche your studies might be. So if you already know that you're really passionate, let's say about animal behaviors and whatnot, don't go to a school that doesn't have uh, professors that are already studying that, right? Um, far like lower down on the ladder, like for your senior final projects or your senior honor theses or whatever it might be called at your school. Um, to me, there's it's impossible to not take what you're already interested in and apply it to your work. Though we're commonly told that we can't, right? We're commonly told like that's your hobby. Now do your job. And to me, if you're just doing your job, it's going to get really boring after a while, right? And it doesn't mean that, like, if you're going into med school, you can, you know, do, like, balloon animals if that's your hobby. Like, you can't do that in the surgery room. But um, but when maybe when you're doing bedside work and you're talking to a client and you want to make sure that they know that you're human, you talk about these things with them. And you go like, hey, you know, what are you watching? What are you doing? But when it comes to like picking a topic, I had friends that hated their topic near the end because they got shadangled into doing what the professor wanted them to do rather than what they were truly interested in. And sometimes you have to. Like sometimes the professor's like, this is your topic, go, right? Um, but try to find ways to make it more interesting. Um, if you're really interested in the natural sciences and like the study of like environment, and you're in a psychology program, cool. Talk about like walk and talk therapy or talk about like the difference between being outside versus inside while learning. Um, There are some individuals um, stereotypically and culturally speaking, men do better in therapy when there is room for movement, especially like teenage boys. Let's take them outside, get them a basketball hoop and get them doing something and they're more likely to talk about their feelings um talk about how um environment plays a role in how we're feeling um if you're really into social justice there is so many different avenues that you can apply that to psychology or even the medical world in the law world um and find those intersectionalities and just kind of like commit to them and I think the bigger conversation here is like your comfortability with yourself and your like own self-esteem and you're willing to kind of quote-unquote be the nerd for your topic um because I remember growing up like I did not like these nerdy things because it was not cool to be a girl in the 90s that was into Pokemon or Star Wars like you got made fun of for that stuff I learned that quickly and I shut my mouth right and I was not into these things I'm gonna go be a cool kid I was never cool though um, and it wasn't till college where I was like I have a voice 
and it's nerdy and I like this stuff. And if you don't like it, oh, well, um, but it took a lot of self-acceptance and self-exploration of that. Um, high school theater played a huge role in that and helping me like feel less shy about like kind of my esteem building. Um, but if you're feeling like you can't use your passions in your job, it might be because of like a self-esteem dynamic or a cultural dynamic where your parents are pushing you in a certain way to get the money achieving job or the status achieving job. Um, you're going to get burnt out though. And I know it's sometimes really hard to fight those cultural messages and um, you have to do what's also in a way protective of yourself. Like I'm not saying like, you know, tell your parents to screw off. You're going to go become a clown. Like you have to do something that also protects yourself in that way. Um, but um, there's ways to, to do, especially in like research topics to have a little bit more fun to get outside the box and you're going to enjoy it more. So I don't know if that answered yeah. your question. It seemed like a really long really, about no. answer. It really did. Especially with like, just explaining like, how to find those passions, but mm -hmm. also just work on yourself too. I just love how you squeeze that in so just, naturally. It's a self-esteem message. Um, yes, I love that. Now I'm trying I, to think like, why? is there something that you could not apply to research? And I don't think there is. Like, I'm like cooking. How could you apply cooking to research? Like there's probably research studies that you could apply to like the five senses, the sense of smell, the sense of taste, um, you know, even even studies show that like like the scent of lavender is relaxing. That's why it's in a lot of like bath and like baby lotions and whatnot. So there's always something you could do that makes it a little bit more fun. <laughs> no, of course. And it's just finding it and taking time to reflect back. Like, what do I like? Why do I like it? How can I apply this to the research <laughs> for my thesis? No, and I love it. You didn't this is why you're a therapist or, a, you know, <laughs> you're practicing, doing your hours and whatnot. Now, wait, I was like, I am technically a therapist. Um, you are a therapist the moment your professors let you sit across from someone for the first time and say, how are you feeling today? Um, and I am, I think the last count, like 675 hours away from being licensed in one of my, so I'm, I'm on a dual track. I, um, I'm getting my marriage and family therapy license and my professional clinical counseling license. Um, and one of them, I couldn't start counting hours. You need 3000 for both till I graduated. So for MFT marriage and family therapists, um, I'm like 600 hours away from being able to test out and be done for the other one. I'm a little bit farther away. Um, but yeah, I, I was officially a therapist my third, second year of grad school when I started working with clients. So no, and that's awesome. Yes. How you figured out for you to follow the MA route versus a PhD in clinical psych. Right. So um, I'm going to take you down the story of my life because it's a long one. So uh, when I was at IVC, I was pretty lost about what I wanted to do with my life. I went in as a theater major. I did theater all of high school and I really found my voice in it. Um, and by that, I mean, I did stage management and backstage work. And by found my voice, I mean, I literally just gained self-confidence and self-esteem um, and started that journey for myself. And so I went in thinking I'm going to be 
a stage manager professionally. I want to work in the theater. And that lasted about a semester. And it was, it wasn't because I wasn't passionate about theater anymore. It just wasn't fitting right at IVC. Like I didn't, didn't blend well in that culture. And I just wanted to be like, okay, what am I going to do? And what I realized what I loved the most about theater was kind of, and again, like, duh, I'm a nerd, um, was the stories and the character development and how the characters affected the actors. Like, I remember sitting backstage, um, stage managing Into the Woods, and it's the song about the baker's dad leaving the baker, and now he's doing, like, intergenerational trauma and crying my eyes out, going, like, I understand this. It's better than I could ever explain it. Um, So I was like, maybe I'll take a psychology class. And at the same time, I was working with a little girl who was battling cancer, um, and she was three years old. And I worked a lot with her medical team and her uh, family and um, was like, okay, I kind of, I like this world. I'm digging psychology. I actually hated my psych one class. Um, And I don't remember the professor's name, but when I talked to other people at IVC about this professor, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He didn't last long. Uh, But then I took social psychology with um, Mike Cassens, who you've had on the podcast, and he turned me me into a psych major. Um, And then working with this little girl who ended up passing away and just kind of going through my own process of understanding that those feelings and that grief and like helping the family and helping the kids. I was like, I want to do something in the world of mental health. And I was originally thinking research. And again, research to me only gets you so far. Research is fantastic. I'm not downplaying that. It's so important. We can't do much without research because again, we want to be able to work ethically and be culturally competent and work within a system of practice that is universal. But great, you did this research study. You have these results. How? What are you going to do with it? How does this actually apply to the everyday person who's dealing with these things? Um, So when I transferred, I took, um, like, so I did three to four years at IVC. I took a year off to work with that little child and kind of figure out my life. And then I did an internship at IVC after I had already transferred. So one, if you find good professors at a community college, do not think that once you transfer, they're out of your life. Like I still talk to these professors and I'm still connected with them. Um, And I was sitting down and getting ready to apply for graduate school. I had a whole bunch of personal stuff going on at the same time as well. And I was looking at PhD programs in clinical psychology. I was looking at the master's in clinical psychology. And then I was looking at the master's in counseling. And that's in a different department than the psychology department was. So the psychology department was in humanities. The counseling program was in um, the human service and science department at, at Cal State Fullerton. So I applied for PhD programs. That was like my my train of thought. Like I want to go be a clinical psychologist. I want to do research and do um, clinical work. And if you think you want to be a clinician, it is r- 10 times harder, I think, to get into a PhD program than if you're just doing the research rep. A lot of PhD for clinical work wants you to do 
a master's program ahead of time or have a lot of clinical experience. And there is a difference between like clinical psychology, I just want to do research, and clinical psychology, I want to be a therapist with a PhD. Um, and so I was really like looking at the program listings, like, do I apply for my backup? And do not do what I do. I applied, my master's program was my backup school. I applied to two PhD programs. The master was my backup and that was like it. And I only applied to one school to transfer. Do not do what I do. Apply to multiple schools, have lots of backups, right? So, but I was like, what's going to be my backup? Master's in clinical psychology or master's in counseling. And I was looking at the program listings and the psychology side of it was very research heavy theory based. The counseling end of it was very theory implied, research implied, but it was based in helping. It wasn't based in your client is a borderline individual. In the counseling world, it was based in you have a client who is dealing with borderline personality disorder. How do you help them? And the difference is the diagnosis is not the person. They are not a piece of paper. They are not a research number. Your person is your person. They do not need to be fixed. They just need someone to help them on this journey. And I loved that. And I love the idea that it's not just about the research. It's about the person. Um, So that's, and then I didn't get into PhD programs (laughs) and I got into my backup school. And I did no research on it. And I found out that Cal State Fullerton is ranked top in California and top in the nation for their MFT program in the human counseling department. The counseling department is actually better than the clinical psychology department when it comes to their master's. And by the way, you get the same career at the end. There is no difference in my master's degree than the clinical program for the psychology department. We're both trained to be marriage and family therapists. We are both trained to do research. Now, mind you, their research is more heavy in the SPSS statistics world. Mine was heavier in the qualitative interviewing style. Um, My program, so every so often we would have psych students in one of our classes because they were impacted or they didn't offer the class and they had to come over to our side of the world. And the very first day of my program, they put us in a circle and they say, Tell a secret you've never told anyone, go. Yeah, uh, your eyes just got really big because it is terrifying. And I was like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Um, And then the next class, they got us into groups of three and we were therapists for each other. Like, practice your therapy skills. This is real life, go. And I was like, day one. Um, They said in orientation, we will stir your shit up, be prepared, And we suggest that you go into your own therapy and we have broken up marriages. Like it was intense, right? Uh, They, they, they did not sugarcoat our orientation, by the way, nicest professors ever. I loved all of my professors, most of my professors, I should say. (laughs) There's always that one, you know, there's just that one. Teaching styles just don't blend and whatnot. But, um, So every so often we would have a psychology student in one of our classes and they were never asked to talk about how they felt. They were taught, they were asked to talk about what theory applied to this case and what's the research behind it. Our classes were, how do you feel about 
this? What do you think about this? And then talk about the theory and research. Um, because in their mind, it's very hypocritical for you to sit across from someone and ask them to do some very intimate and personal talking if you've never applied it to yourself. And you could see the difference. They were training us to be therapists and to help. Not saying that the masters and psych people were not doing the same, but it was it was different. And those clinicians were like, dude, I wish I had done this program instead. I just didn't know about it. <laughs> um, and so again, like I apply theory. I know my psych theory back and forth. And I think it was very beneficial for me to have my BA in psychology because I know psych theory. I did graduate level classes right at the end of my BA to kind of prepare me in case I got into a PhD program, which again, I didn't. And thank God I didn't because um, I'm very happy with the path. And I think, I don't know if Kasson said this, I don't remember in his episode, but I, I steal what he says. Like my master's in counseling is a beautiful Sunday. A PhD would be a cherry on top of it but it would not change the flavor of what I do at all. And ironically, the only thing I cannot do that a PhD clinician can do is assessment. I cannot sit across from someone, give them a bookload of assessments and diagnose them that way. I can diagnose. I can do all the same treatment stuff. I can do all the same theory practicality stuff. I can do all the same treatment planning. I can work with pretty much any population I want to work with. I just can't do assessments and I don't want to do assessments. That sounds horrible and boring. I want to be in the front line. I want to work with the individual, not just assess them and then send them on their way. Um, but again, if you are passionate about research and you like to do that assessment process, a PhD route might be more beneficial for you. If you are passionate about research and you want to do more research-based clinical work, a master's in psychology might be more beneficial for you. Um, there's also just master's in psychology that are just completely research-focused and you're not going to get trained to be a clinician at all. Um, but when it comes down to it, there is no job difference between having a master's in clinical psych and a master's in counseling. The only time you kind of see differences in it is academia tends to be very specific about what kind of masters they want their teachers to have, which I think is a little weird. It tends to be more biased towards the psychology and research focus, though, again, what I do as a counselor, quote unquote, which is interchangeable with a therapist is applied psych theory, <laughs> uh, the same way applied like theory from a master's in psychology. Um, if anything, I think I apply it more because I have to like use it for real people all the time. <laughs> um, and so like you might, you might find if you know you want to be a psychology teacher and a clinician, I, I would suggest doing more research into a master's in psychology. Um, but it kind of just depends on what you need. And again, doing research on the program, do not do what I did. Do not not research your programs. I researched all my PhD programs up a storm. I did not research my master's program. I just got really lucky. But um, for instance, my all of my professors in my counseling department did private research in their own labs while also having private practices like some did not have private practices at all they just were professors and researchers with counseling education backgrounds or they did um private practice 
research and schooling um, or teaching. So, like, we have one of the, the leading people for men's study. We had a lot of leading people doing research on eating disorders. We have people doing research on um, first-generation Latinx students and mental health. Um, we had people doing research on the Me Too movement and the effects of the Me Too movement at the time. Um, so, like, you find research in all different types of fields, um, we need research as clinicians. Um, and so like figuring out like, again, what's your passion? What, sh- what are your interests in the world? Find a school that fits that. Uh, they all have little bios by their name on the professor list. Read them. Um, and it, it's hard because we're asking students to make lifelong decisions very early on in their career process. Um so like, oh shoot, like what do I want to do when I retire? Do I want to be a teacher in my retirement age? Do I, what do I want to do? Um, and it can be very overwhelming, but also think very small in the fact of like, is there a part of me who might be interested in teaching one day? Be curious, lean into that curiosity and maybe TA for a semester and see if you even like it. Um, is there a part of me that's interested in research? Lean into that, join a research lab. And let the, seeing if that's even within your wheelhouse before applying to grad school. Like, try to get that experience. Um, a lot of people ask, do I need to be in therapy to become a therapist? I'm biased. Go to therapy. You do not have to wait for something bad to happen in your life to go to therapy. Um, culturally speaking, I know there's a lot of disgrace sometimes talking about your feelings, especially with strangers. Um And there can be a lot of shame around going to therapy. Um, And if you are thinking about being a clinician, that might be something you want to work on in therapy before you start a program. Um, But, you know, that's a a journey that you might have to go through yourself. And um, but you don't need to be in therapy before becoming a therapist. A good program is going to put you through the ringer anyway. Um, And. Yeah, like, and I would say try to get some experience in the world of mental health. And by that, I mean, like, I worked with a little girl who was battling cancer. I got a lot of experience with mental health in that year and a half. Um, I worked with teens at my local youth group at my church. I got experience with mental health. (laughs) Um, I So it doesn't have to be in a clinical practice to get experience in mental health. Um, I don't know, just sit in the local cafe at your, like, Starbucks and get experience watching people. It's mental health. (laughs) Go to Disneyland, watch people for a while. You're going to learn a lot. Um, So I think that answered your question. I'm kind of long-winded. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, honestly, you answered my question in more detail than I can even imagine. Like, I'm I'm gaining a lot of wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, huh. but I love the fact that you were so like honest with the fact too, that you didn't research some of the PhD, pro- the two PhD programs you applied to. Just don't do that now, people. <laughs> yeah. Just, just do your research. Cause again, like I was, and I'm, and I'm not disappointed that I didn't get into a PhD program at the time I was, but like I was set up on an amazing better path. Um, I do come Thank from you. like a for me, I do come from like a spiritual background. Um, so like maybe a little higher calling was like, you don't need this. Um, but, 
I don't think it would have been a good fit for me at the time. But again, it's because like my career did not need it. And I, I've had professors come to me and say, like, if you're ever interested in a PhD program, you would be fine. Come talk to me when you're ready. Okay, cool. When I'm ready and I think I want to, I might go do that. But again, I don't need it for what I love to do. Um, and there's not, and again, this is because I'm not research driven. I'm clinically driven. Um, if you are research driven, a PhD program is going to open a lot more long-term goals for you when it comes to job opportunities. Um, but it doesn't, having a master's program doesn't shut doors for you when you're a clinician based person. And I can still do research if I want to, like we could do studies in our clinical practice. We can, um, we, there's still opportunities to do research in my line of work as well. No, of course. And just like how we started in the beginning of the episode, just taking the time out of everything, all the information Jen like gave us all these golden gems. It's important <laughs> at the end, just like we mentioned in the beginning, take a step back and just reflect. What do I like? What interests yeah. me? What is, what is me? Because that will help you figure out whether mm -hmm. you want a PhD, whether you want a master's, whether you even want to go to grad school. Because I'm telling you, mi gente, grad school is literally such a personal choice. I can't emphasize that enough. Like mm -hmm. I've mentioned before in the past, I dropped out of grad school and then reapplied to another program later, which I honestly end up loving too. So it's like, it all just goes back to you. There's no wrong path in life. It's your path. And wherever you end up, the journey sometimes is more educational and more impactful than the actual outcome of it. Um, and you have to do what's right by you or the burnout at the end of the day is real. And I, and I know that's hard from a cultural lens as well, because sometimes you don't have a choice in the matter of what you're going to be doing for school. Uh, so just kind of honoring the privilege that it comes by saying, do what you want to do and it's fine. Like that comes with a lot of privilege to say. Um, but when you feel stuck, like you feel like you have to go down a certain career path, cool. Then especially bring in your interests. Like if mom and dad are pushing you to become a lawyer, find an area of law that you're most passionate about. And it could be the smallest, most nichiest little topic, but build a career off of it because people need it, right? If you're really passionate about social justice and you're being forced to become a lawyer, there's a need for that, right? If you're really passionate about animals and you're being pushed to become a lawyer, there is a need for that, right? Um, and there's ways to be able to fit in cultural family needs with your passion, right? If you become a therapist, be prepared to have weird hours. Um, if you want to work with kids, congratulations, you're working after school time, unless you work in the schools. So if you work in the schools, you're working nine to three each day. If you're working private practice, you're probably working from 3.30 into the evening because that's when kids are available, right? And if you work with individuals who work nine to five, congratulations, you're not seeing them in a nine to five. Um, like you're going to have evening clients. You're going to have weekend clients. Um, but like, uh, so I don't know. I'm going to like sidetrack a little bit talking about it, like what the day of being a therapist looks like a little bit. Uh, I work in a private practice setting. So basically what that means is I kind of get to set my own schedule, but I have to set my own schedule around when people want to come in for therapy. Um, so it, it's weird versus I have a friend that works in the schools. So she goes to a school site 
pulls the kid out for therapy. Well, she did that pre-pandemic. I don't know quite what it looks like right now. Uh, a lot of Zoom calls and issues. But um, So she only saw clients between 9 and 3 each day. But she only got to see them for like 30 minutes each day. Um, and then she saw them once a week. And um, But if you work in like if your if your passion is helping individuals who are kind of dealing with addiction or going through the recovery process and you work in a rehab facility, your hours are going to look different. Uh, so it's just something to kind of prepare yourself for that your job is not a nine to five. The same way if you're going into like academics and teaching, you work when your classes are being taught and then you have all the paperwork clinicians have all the paperwork as well so like even though i see clients on tuesdays from three to eight o'clock at night i have to do all those clinical notes at some point as well um so it's a lot of um self-regulation and self-efficacy and like pushing yourself to to work outside the clock now, before we officially conclude this episode, do you have any last things you want to say? Do you have your Instagram handle you want to share for your podcast? Any of that yes. good stuff? Yes. Um, I would say that one, again, I just emphasize the fact that like this has been a really difficult year. So give yourself a break. We are all learning how to deal with a pandemic for the first time. We are all learning how to deal with all of the political stuff that's been going on, all the personal stuff that is impacted by it for the first time. So, like, show yourself a little compassion. Give yourself a little break every so often. Do some do some real self-care. Um, and then also remember that this is your journey. And there's a lot you have to take into consideration sometimes, but have fun with it. Um and make friends and talk to professors and don't don't be shy to ask questions and to go to office hours um go do like say yes to things um so i guess that that was kind of be it especially like for there's so many resources for first generation students also out there i know you cover so many of them um but like apply for for scholarships and grants and say yes to things and don't let other people's boundaries and barriers prevent you from thinking what's achievable um and go get your own mental health work done if that's something you feel like you need uh because there's no shame in talking about your feelings um and mental health work can look like watching your favorite tv show and we can bring it full circle um but um when it comes to like where you can find me out in the universe, again, my podcast is called Stories with Shrinks. Um, we are on Instagram at Stories with Shrinks and Facebook as well at Stories with Shrinks. Um, my personal like business website is just jenolmantherapy.com. You can see more about like my personal work there. Um, I can promote my own business. I am currently taking clients. If you are in need of someone to talk to, even throughout the state of California, um, we can do telehealth if you don't live locally to Santa Ana, um, or if that's just more comfortable for you at this time. And um, I think that I think that covers it. This is my first time plugging myself on this kind of platform. So I think I covered all the bases. And you did that wonderfully, <laughs> right? Straight to the point. All right, my dear. So thank you so much for everyone for tuning into this episode. And I'll definitely talk to you next week.